This is Dennis Money. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Phil is the author of American Veda. Our, our guest today, Locke Kelly. Locke is a teacher, consultant, and leader in the field of meditation and psychotherapy. Uh, he was asked to teach by Mingyur Rinpoche and Adi Shanti. He is the founder of the Open Hearted Awareness Institute and his book, Shift into Freedom, the Science and Practice of Open Hearted Awareness. And I should say, those, uh, I would recommend the book, and it has a lot of very practical information that you can use to actually uh, uh, achieve uh, m- much of what uh, Locke uh, discusses in the book. Locke, thank you so very much to take the time uh, to come on our show today, Spirit Matters Talk. Oh, thank you, Dennis and Phil, so much. Locke, um, we like to let the listeners know something about the background of the people we interview. Can you uh, give us a sort of uh, brief overview of what brought you to the work you do as both a psychotherapist and a spiritual teacher? Sure. Um, You know, I can say, I think, (laughs) looking at hindsight, you know, I can see, you know, as a kid that there were certain kind of shifts of consciousness, certain kind of spiritual mini-awakenings and uh, insights, uh, but I didn't know what to call them at that time, but they were certainly precious to me. Um, Then I had a period of time in my sophomore year in college where I had three major losses in my life. My father developed cancer uh, and then kind of recovered and passed away a year later. Uh, Then my grandmother, who lived with us, um, she died six months later. And then my best friend from the ice hockey team uh, died in a car accident within three months. And so I had a kind of intense um, grief period, and I was felt like there was nobody. I was trying to talk to people and felt like I was carrying a burden. And then one evening, as I walked out of the library, after not being so successful at studying because I was so burdened, um, I felt like I was talking to myself and felt like a voice said, you know, I don't know if you can take this any longer. And uh, I kind of looked for the voice. I looked back and something opened up so that as I was outside, it opened up and I kind of looked back and through my own sense of self and opened up into the sky and felt this kind of huge sense of freedom and support and uh, a shift of consciousness that made me laugh and cry and, um, you know, felt like there was something, something was lifted and something was kind of, connected to that felt like it was both in the universe, but it was mainly I saw it as something in my own consciousness and the fact that it happened so so quickly and immediately and became a kind of resource um, to me just made me very interested in what's that, how does that possibly happen. Um, <clears throat> so that made me start to read books in the field of, you know, psychology and spirituality, meditation, Eastern uh, thought, and um, start to try to meet people and, and figure out what's going on. Lock, Lock, let me ask you, uh, 
You mentioned that in your childhood you had some experiences of awakening. wasn't quite sure what those experiences were. I think a lot of us can relate to that to whatever extent. Do you think that most people uh, in their early days, in their childhood, have such experiences, but there's no uh, context to, to put those experiences in, uh, n nothing in their educational system uh, in most cases that would uh, deal with such uh, an experience? Uh, but do you think most uh, it, it, people are... It's very common for people to have experiences of that type uh, when they're young. I do, absolutely. I think there's, you know, there's a, a sense that this is a nat there's natural dimension of consciousness that is kind of uh, free and interconnected and, and loving and non-stressed, non-worried, non-fearful, uh, and we access it in many different ways, you know, through nature and just spontaneously in so many ways. And then when we experience that, we try to, you know, tell our parents or somebody else or don't have words for it, and they just say, oh, yeah, well, you know, you know, rah, rah, rah. You know there's no framework or, um, or sense of uh, context for mm -hmm. us to make that a, a normal thing. Sometimes it's, you know, put into religious context, but mostly I think it's just kind of not understood or not. Mm -hmm. uh, verified, yeah. Or or dismissed as some or kind dismissed. of an imaginary experience or something. Yes. Right. Um, Locke, your your description of what got you onto your path of inquiry um, has two characteristics. One was a, a, a series of experiences that caused a deep amount of grief and sorrow, which is often something that people to engage in spiritual search and for meaning and so forth. But that, in your case, what really precipitated was a kind of awakening experience of, of a transcendent experience, which is also something that there's precedent for, but it's, it's not that common. Um, but people have had those experiences and then said, what's going on here? And that leads them to look into things. In your case, um, judging from your name, I'm guessing an Irish Catholic background. Yes, that's right. Was there anything in, in that, in your religious heritage, that gave you some kind of clue? Or was there any, did you turn in that direction at all? Um, you know, I had, you know, kind of grown up in the uh, Kumbaya, you know, uh, Catholic uh, era of uh, <laughs> folk, folk guitars and, right. you know, not, not too heavy, negative, you know, part of that religion. You know, I thought, you know, hey, Jesus, this is, he's a, he seems like a great guy saying a lot of good things, but I, uh -huh. um, but I didn't connect it too much with that. I did go to the, you know, the the, you know, both, you know, the, the Catholic uh, priest, the rabbi, and the, the, you know, two, two of the ministers who were there on campus who were all professors and, you know, just kind of curiously say, what do you think about this and that? And they all had, you know, interesting things to say, but mm. um, it didn't, you know, I didn't, I thought about it. I thought, did this come from outside or from inside? That mm. was kind of my question. You know, did this, what was that big? It was mm -hmm. so big. It was so, like, connected to the universe, to something bigger than myself. And I felt some support 
but what was that? It didn't feel, it definitely didn't feel like a, a person or that somebody had answered my prayer or done something. It felt like something was popped or, lit or loosened or surrendered or opened to a dimension that as I continued, it seemed clearer that, oh, this was already here. This is like tuning into something that's already here. This isn't something coming from above mm -hmm. uh, to save me or something. Right. Uh, Locke, uh, uh, along those lines, do you think that uh, oneness uh, is natural to life and duality is learned? Or is duality sort of the level of awareness one comes into the world with and then one has to experience and learn oneness, non-duality? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting, the, the definition of non-duality, which, um, the, the you know, there's kind of two floating definitions of non-duality. <laughs> the, the one... Dual definition. Yeah. <laughs> dual definition. Dueling <laughs> dual definitions of, of non-duality, right? Or, you know, it's probably many more than that, but, you know, one definition is non-duality is transcendence, or non-duality is pure consciousness or pure awareness mm -hmm. or, or beyond duality. Right. And then the other definition, which is more the one that I use, is that non-duality includes both mm -hmm. transcendent and immanent. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're both, from that way, I think we, we have both from the beginning and that developmentally, um, maybe early on, we're a little more in the transcendent or maybe mm -hmm. could be, you know, but more like pre-personal mm -hmm. um, as well. And then as we develop personal and start to develop uh, need to have independence from our parents and develop uh, school-age learning, we, you know, we're, we're trained in, you know, a tremendous amount of, of duality, which, you know, much of which is needed, but it becomes dominant and it becomes uh, a little too much about our identity rather than just our functioning. Mm -hmm. Locke, um, you became a psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, and you also bring spirituality into your psychotherapy, if I understand correctly. Can you talk about the um, integration of those two? And, and were you doing that right from the beginning, or did, did that develop over time? Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually, I was doing that from the, from the beginning. I kind of uh, started with a, a joint degree program uh, at Columbia University and Union Theological which had a program in psychology and spirituality as a as a degree, and then uh, the joint degree program with the social work school, which had kind of the social ethics and you know kind of um, uh, you know and psychology, and then my second year I went off on a fellowship to Sri Lanka and India. Uh, so even before I did my psychological training, I did the meditation training um, and did a year was called, you know, cross-cultural perspectives on healing, which basically looked at, you know, what is healing, what is suffering. Um, so I was always looking at that broader 
definition, east and west. And so um, even when I started psychological training, I had always, I'd already looked at my mind and looked at my consciousness with meditation. So I had a, a different model mm-hmm. that I brought to that. Um, and I, you know, I always, as soon as I, I got behind the door with with somebody, you know, and was working with them, I wasn't afraid to use, you know, kind of a eclectic model right away and found that people responded to it and not always my supervisors, but <laughs> my, mostly my <laughs> clients, anyhow. Laka, when did you first encounter Hadi Shanti and what, what influence and effect uh, did he have on you? So... <laughs> I mean, yeah, with, with Adi Shanti, I had, I had already kind of uh, had, you know, had developed a certain um, curiosity from, you know, starting with that time in college. My interest was what, you know, what is, how do I access intentionally um, and immediately this dimension of consciousness that happened that night and can it you know is it is this a state of mind is this a meditation state or is this actually my natural condition to which these other states come and go and so that became my my curiosity and i had studied with many teachers um been in indian sri lanka and nepal and studied with you know bead griffiths and different yoga bender um Ramana Ashram, and then up to meet uh, Tibetans, and then did insight meditation in Sri Lanka. So I had um, had looked at um, what is the way to intentionally uh, shift uh, consciousness. Mm-hmm. So I had had you know gotten good instruction, but would always keep my own. Um, you know, kind of almost a scientific approach in that I was not going to take on. I saw immediately that so so much was in common from all these traditions, contemplative traditions, that I didn't feel I needed to take one one of them on, though I respected them all. And so, you know, I trusted the kind of awareness to reveal itself to me um, in kind of these meditations. Uh, and so, you know, things started to happen, little shifts and uh, experiments of consciousness and unfolding and languaging of that and trying to share that. And I was teaching meditation by this time and developed, you know, a way of talking and uh, experiencing. And then I met, you know, some of the Advaita teachers at that time and had some dialogue, but some differences. And one of the teachers, um, Pamela Wilson, who was a friend of mine, came to me one day and said, Locke, here's a, here's a guy who talks just like you. And she mm-hmm. handed me this book, uh, Adi Shanti's first book, Impact of Awakening. And I kind of opened the book and I was like, whoa, this guy's like talking, you know, as if I wrote this. This is the same language. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the same kind of unfolding and experiences. So I, you know, wrote him and then went off and 
met him at one of his weekend retreats and and we immediately you know kind of became friends and support support of each other in that uh, you know we were in you know trying to do the same kinds of things and having similar results um like you in your psychotherapy practice um unless you you uh, are just sort of specializing presumably people come to you because they're struggling they're in pain they uh, have some issues they want to wrestle with in life um, they may not necessarily be coming to you because they want spiritual guidance in the in the sense that we separate psychology from spirituality um, do you integrate your your spiritual knowledge and practices with those people, or is it a kind of selective process? I mean, from from the beginning, I've combined. Uh, right now, I'm specializing, and I'm really only seeing people who are in the awakening process. But mm. I worked, um, you know, for six years in a community mental health clinic and worked with people who had major diagnoses. Uh, access one, you know, major depression, bipolar, schizophrenic. And I basically felt like I was using a combination of spirituality and consciousness and types of meditation inquiry with every one of them. And um, they, you know, seemed to, you know, to all benefit. And, you know, even people who had... Um, you know, serious uh, traumatic backgrounds, um, you know, would just report things like they would just say, you know, I just feel like I've put my burden down and I just can laugh at myself more now. Mm. You know, just kind mm -hmm. of very more about, you know, kind of their essential identity with less anxiety, less, you know, not needing to have, you know, cleaned up all their issues, but feel like their core and the ground of their being um, felt like they that's who they were or they could access that. Locke, in your book, uh, Shift into Freedom, The Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness. Now, practically speaking, obviously, you know, a goal is to shift people's awareness from duality yep. to non-duality. Uh, is, is that something... Uh, ultimately, that becomes a permanent. That can become, and uh, the goal is to become a permanent state, uh, where one is always has that awareness of non-duality in regard to uh, their life and everything they're doing at all time, or is it something you you just generally shift in and out of? I, I mean, the 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 beginning is usually shifting in and out, um, and one of the the methods or approaches that I learned is was called small glimpses uh, many times. So rather than long meditation periods, learning to shift and then familiarize with this non-dual um, primacy of awareness-based knowing rather than uh, concept-based knowing, thought-based knowing. So over time, I mean, that's my real interest is really, mm -hmm. you know, that... Um, and, you know, it's an open question. I certainly believe I have found, you know, numbers of people who are 
certainly on their way and have made significant shifts and it's more more their daily life or they certainly know who they are and it's it, they're able to be that way most of the time and um and that each you know each kind of significant uh sh- each shift you know small shift is significant so that it does become a figure ground shift in that um what is initially feels like a meditation state is discovered to be the our natural condition our nature of mind or our uh true nature and that once we learn how to access and return and familiarize then it does um over time become uh where we're living from talking from relating from and creating from Lucky you use in your subtitle of your book and you have an institute called the Open Hearted Awareness Institute. So this term open hearted awareness. Yes. Um it's an interesting term because we think of the heart as something that feels, not as something that is aware. Uh <laughs> um tell us why you use the term and what you mean by it. Yeah, so um it's kind of the goal uh, is to live from this open-hearted uh, awareness rather than living from thought-based, um, ego-centered identity or to live from a mindful witness, which might be the second stage, or to live from the you know, big S witnessing self which would kind of be a witness consciousness. That's like the third stage of what I talk about. And then that witnessing awareness actually becomes embodied, which is the fourth um, kind of uh, level of mind or movement of this uh, awareness that becomes embodied. And then the fifth is this open-hearted awareness, which sometimes is called bodhicitta, or heart mind, or Satchitananda, or um, the you know Christ consciousness, or the Sacred Heart, or uh, but that idea that there's a heart mind almost that there's it's a non-conceptual intelligence that includes our rational mind, but is not uh that the rational or conceptual mind is the leaves of the tree of the root which is um a heart mind which has both the wings one wing of wisdom and one wing of compassion so that there's an actual different way of perceiving um that isn't you know micromanaging and uh scanning for danger on the level of you know what's going on what's the problem and is actually um almost like a tai chi master is is relaxed and open and and uh you know able to respond in the world but isn't in a worry mode isn't in an analytic mode isn't in a judging mode but it has available you know is kind of in a flow state mm-hmm. of, if i can follow up on that it sounds like your term, open-hearted awareness, um, 
people who are familiar with various spiritual traditions um, might be familiar with the concept, but in different terminology, like you mentioned, Satchitananda, you mentioned witness consciousness. People might have heard cosmic consciousness or yeah. um, those Unity kinds. Is, is, that, is that an accurate statement that you're... Yes, you're they, okay. they would know it. They would know it by other terms, but it's, it's definitely the, the embodied and functioning rather than being a sometimes cosmic consciousness or pure awareness or is kind of... A, in you know, living in a cave or mm-hmm, living in a mm-hmm. modern uh-huh. state or right. nirvakalpa samadhi, that this is actually more like a you know what's called a flow state or being in the zone where you're highly functioning but you feel connected to everyone and everything mm-hmm. without worry or fear. You don't feel like you're operating mm-hmm. from a small self-centered place, um, and it's more the natural, nat- natural possible way to live an everyday life. Mm-hmm. Lockie, you, you say in your book, awareness of awareness is mindfulness of awareness. I think I understand that, but if you can elaborate <laughs> on that for me and also for our listeners. Yes. Well, I mean, this is kind of the, one of the, the, move, the, the, the moves uh, from um, many people who have done mindfulness or one-pointed meditation mm-hmm. at the first stage you know, watching your breath or concentrating on a candle or a mantra, um, that there's a calming and focusing effect. And then often the second stage is opening to a mindful witness of the contents of consciousness and recognizing that you're not your thoughts, that there is some awareness or witnessing Mm -hmm. consciousness that is aware of the thoughts you were identified with. Then, so that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of people um, are and even models of that, uh, of spirituality or meditation kind of stop, stop there or, you know, hope that that will lead further. And that this, um, this uh, awareness that's aware of the contents of our thoughts and feelings, sensation, once it can actually open up or become aware of itself as subject and object, kind of fall back or look back Mm -hmm. or relax back or open so that the space that's aware or the awareness is aware of itself, it kind of opens into a field of an all-pervasive, open, uh, non-thought-based dimension Mm -hmm of intelligence that is um, is not happening from one point of view but becomes this you know open uh, spacious awareness or big sky mind kind of feeling and then from there while remaining open there's an including of of your body from within so there's almost a witnessing from within and an open boundless um, sense of freedom or spaciousness that um, kind of almost taps you into um, something that most people, I find most people can access within 
within 15 minutes of getting a couple of different instructions. Very interesting. Uh, it sounds like a uh, very grounded and integrated approach to um, bringing higher awareness, higher consciousness into the the uh, stuff of everyday life that you we all have to deal with. Um, do you have, among the people you've been working with, uh, people who are uh, embedded in and identified with um, any of the religious traditions, and um, how do you how do they take to your kind of uh, universal approach to spirituality? I mean, most of them that are embedded in are also, you know, in the interspiritual movement. Mm. You know? So they can be embedded in. Um, I mean, Father Thomas Keating is one of you know my uh, great you know supporters who just loves this kind of work and has felt, you know, has done some of the meditations, some other um, people who are Zen teachers. I just had a Zen teacher come and who's a classical Zen teacher, wears the robes and just say, you know, oh my God, you're doing, you're doing it directly. You're, this is, this is so great. I love this, you know, and um, so, you know, there are, there are people who, um, who integrate this as the, you know, and they, they can make sense of it as they like it because it can be a compliment mm-hmm. because there's no, re- there's no religious requirement to do this kind of inquiry and meditation. Mm-hmm. That it's what I consider, you know, part of the human being lineage. So it doesn't require that you have a religious affiliation. You can have a religious affiliation or no religious affiliation and you can do this, you know, what is often considered kind of the deepest contemplative work uh, with or without belief. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't require um, either that you give up belief or that you have a particular belief because you're, you're working with, and I kind of simplified the language to make it very visceral and, um, and simple, you know, using words like awareness and consciousness right. and, yeah, so that it's not um, exclusive. In your book, the subtitle uh, title is Shift into Freedom, the subtitle is Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness. Uh, and is the word science there because it is uh, not a system based on belief? And so that was question number one. And the second part of the question is, uh, how much yeah. time do you devote a day towards spiritual practice? Or would yeah. you like to devote? Yeah. So, um, the, yeah, the word, the word science, I think, is there for a couple of reasons. One is... Um, as you say, um, it's kind of a science, meaning it doesn't require um, religion or leaving or relieving your or you know um, leaving your religion. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then the second part is that it's almost a scientific approach. Even the way I go about it, I I'm not a I do it in a kind of a democratic, non-guru, scientific way, meaning. Let me give you the hypothesis. Here's the reports from those who have done these experiments before. And then let me give you a set of experiments. And then you try these experiments and report what's true mm-hmm. in your language. And then we'll, 
dialogue or fine-tune to help you navigate and discover these doorways and um, different dimensions of consciousness that you may not have known how to get to or you may not have known you even had access to or even existed. So it's kind of that approach rather than not telling you what, you know, just saying, okay, we'll just do these things by rote. You know, I'm saying, here it is. Here's what we're saying. Here's the premise. Here's the hypothesis. Here's the map of the territory. And here's the experiment. So that way, science. And then thirdly, I do have, I've been working with neuroscientists for the last 10 years um, who have been studying meditation both in its basic form from, you know, one-pointedness from studying TM to studying mindfulness um, meditation to studying Herbert Benson and uh, these this kind of meditation. And then more recently, uh, with the fMRI machine, uh, being able to study some uh, different dimensions of more non-dual uh, mm-hmm. meditation and its effect on different parts of the brain. So I have one chapter in there, and I also sprinkle um, <clears throat> different uh, neuroscience um, experiments that you know seem to be supportive, you know, without making it a hard, you know, necessity that you, you know, have to believe the scientific experiments are exactly, you know, so. Mm-hmm. But they definitely are very interesting. A lock your book comes with a. Um uh, a, a set of CDs yeah. that um, are called a training in the science of, and practice of open-hearted awareness. <clears throat> Can you, ex- and uh, we should say the publisher of the books and the CDs sounds true. Um, yeah. Can you explain uh, why the CDs and, and what's in them? Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're, there's, they're CDs, but they're also you know, downloadable uh, audios, uh, you know, for those who, you know, don't even have a uh, a computer that uses mm-hmm. CDs anymore. You can go to Amazon and, and download on Audible or uh, and right onto a computer and then put it on your phone. Um, and they are uh, like 30 different practices that are built in a series um, that have, uh, that go through this series of shifts in short three to eight minute guided um, meditations and inquiries uh, to, and they're also divided into kind of different learning styles for visual and kinesthetic and, but they're pointers and um, glimpses, ways of glimpsing your natural condition, your natural nature of mind, of stepping out, literally unhooking awareness from thinking and dropping it into your body, mm-hmm. uh, being aware of your senses directly from within, then opening to space all around you, and then discovering that space you're aware of space and then you're aware from space. And this kind of sense of spacious awareness is aware of itself without using thought and then aware from within your body um, and developing uh, the capacity to uh, know from your heart-mind 
um, and start to speak and talk. So it's a it's a um, you know series of pointers that you know some people have started by just getting the audio, which is not an audio book, but as I, as I said, like a little introduction, and then the just the meditations, which are written in the book, but um, are certainly easier when you hear them first, and then eventually, you know, people have been doing it for a while, don't need, you know, once you learn them, you can do them for yourself, and a lot of people here in New York City do them on the subway with their, because most of them are um, for your eyes open. Uh-huh. So you you can do them with your eyes open. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to close your eyes on them. <laughs> unless, unless you're the conductor. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, uh, Locke, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I have one last question, and, and Phil might have one okay. as well. But uh, finally, uh, and I, I mentioned this before, I asked this before, how much time do you uh, generally put in towards spiritual practice uh, every day? Yes, yeah, thank you. I was going to come back to that. Um, I I... What I do is is small glimpses and retunings all day long. So literally, uh, most most of the day I'm living from open-hearted awareness. Then if I get caught or I recognize I'm attached or identified or you know becoming mm-hmm. you know one of these kind of sub-personalities or uh-huh. attitudes, I I feel it more and more now. Like you know, chalk, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard or like a little cartoon character going like, what does that person think they're going to You know, <laughs> and then I like go, whoa, okay. And then I have this little series which I teach, which is just recognize you're caught, unhook from that, open mm-hmm. up, and return home to open-hearted awareness, and then go back to whatever and include and welcome whatever issue or concern or situation is happening. So rather than denying it or escaping, I just come back and include it and then, you know, respond rather than react to whatever's going on. And then it kind of maintains that for a while. And then, um, so it's, it's a whole different way of practicing in that it's not a, there's no need to go off into a quiet corner um, and close your eyes and retreat that you kind of are returning in the midst of your daily life. Locke, uh, before we um, close, <clears throat> let's mention the title of your book and CD yep. set once again. It's Shift into Freedom, The Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness from Sounds True. And maybe you would like to um, tell our listeners how they can find you online and any other final mm-hmm. comments you have. Sure, yes. I'm glad to thank you so much, Dennis and Phil, for talking, and I'm happy that people are listening, and I hope you're interested. Uh, You can go to my website, find out more at www.lockkelly.org, L-O-C-H-K-E-L-L-Y.org, and then you'll see links to the book on Amazon, and uh, the, the audio is available, as well as uh, some events around the country and some online courses that I just developed that go into this material in kind of a four and eight week course. Um, and um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a unique approach, and I'm you know I think some people have, are starting to respond to it. So 
for those that it is a good match, you're, you're most welcome. Well, thanks for joining us, Locke. Good luck with the release of the book and your ongoing work. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks. And, and uh, you, those listening in, you, you have that uh, contact information. You can always uh, contact us, uh, spiritmatterstalk.com, and we can get you that information. Uh, it's Dennis Mundy and uh, my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda. Our guest today, Locke Kelly, his book, Shift into Freedom, the Science and Practice of Open-Hearted Awareness. Locke, thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you both. Really enjoyed it.